Welcome to the Joe Schmo Theology Podcast, where we discuss confessions. I ain't confessing nothing! Reformed theology. I don't know what either of those words mean. And apologetics. I am not apologizing for anything either. I am your host, Adam D. Murray, and joined with me today on this program is my brother, Aaron D. Murray. All right, episode four, right? Four? Four, I think so. Okay. I think we're good. We're back after a couple week break. Yeah, yeah. I hope you missed us. I missed you. I missed you too, man. Awesome. It's been so long. It's been a well, it hasn't been that long. I mean, I saw, you, I saw you Saturday, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's so, going on with your life, man? No, 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 no. I always go first. Oh, yeah, that's true. First. My life is always more anticlimactic. I didn't say that. <clears throat> um, my life, it, it's been busy. We've had a lot going on the last couple of weeks. Um, I did end up taking a trip to, well, really all over the place. Went with my buddy Grant out to uh, Mississippi... Um, went to a place called Clarksdale to uh, a blues club that Morgan Freeman started. We were really hoping to see him, but he didn't show up, so that was kind of sad. But Clarksdale sucks. Don't ever go there unless you're going to a blues club. I went to Toby Keith's restaurant in Oklahoma. Oh, how was that? Joke. It's yeah, horrible. I, I thought so. <laughs> Awful. I mean, it's Toby Keith. What do you want? Toby Keith's not bad. He's not good. Okay. <laughs> His restaurant's not good. I know that. All right. So, so anyway, uh, blues club was cool called Ground Zero, in case anyone wants to look it up. Then we went to a place called Natchez, Natchez, Mississippi, one of the most beautiful little towns I've been to, um, right off of the, the Mississippi River, really a kind of a sleepy town, <laughs> so it's a great place probably to retire, um, but maybe not to, to vacation too, but I really enjoyed it. We only stayed a night there, um, but it was really, really gorgeous. Uh, then we went to, we drove through Vicksburg, uh, which was a, a Civil War battleground area and just kind of did a quick tour there on our way to New Orleans where we stayed in New Orleans for a few days and New Orleans is really cool um New Orleans is a I've weird... heard it smells like urine oh it does it's the streets are are gross is that because of Katrina or because I, I don't know and I, I really don't know it, pass. it it did smell pretty bad but it was also really cool um a lot of just like mixture of culture and things you know it was um, the French and the Spanish, you know, were there for forever and before it was even part of America and the Louisiana Purchase. And so you've got some cool architecture in different places. Um, we also, I mean, anyone who, who thinks of New Orleans probably thinks of like voodoo and stuff as well. Um, so you, I don't think of that. You don't want, well, you should. It's very, I mean, it's very prevalent. Uh, very, voodoo? Oh yeah. Huh. Oh yeah. Very prevalent. How so? Uh, because when a lot of slaves were brought over from Africa, they brought voodoo with them, and it was just like it merged. Like New Orleans historically was a Catholic place, and it merged very well with um, with Catholicism. Because voodoo, a lot of I mean, Hollywood has turned voodoo into something that it's not. It's like it turns it into like witchcraft and things. Mm-hmm. And there's there's reasons for that. There are people behind that who have kind of played that up. Um, but really, it is it is you know a religion and it's more of a workspace type thing as wait, well wait, voodoo is a religion it is yeah e- educate me because i i probably have the hollywood like voodoo doll yeah thing in my head. <laughs> uh i i can't i can't educate you very well but this is what i know so i don't know like the name of whatever deity they have i think they, i think it's more of a like god is in everything type you can um you can reach out to whom by various means. And that's where I think you can get yourself into trouble when you start trying to do seances and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you put yourself under like 
um, spells or whatever different ways that you can try and, and reach out to the spirit world. So but, you're saying there are voodoo's and voodoo's. <laughs> voodoo's. I'm just gonna let you. No, no, come on. I'm gonna let you say that. That's that was, hilarious. That was a terrible. That joke. is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but voodoo in and of itself, like they they have basically like their idea of like a Saint Peter. You know, they also have um, the idea of. Uh, so they actually have Saint Peter as one of their patron saints. No, but they have something that uh, they have something similar to that, and so the reason they're merged so well with Catholicism is because they came up and they're like, well, let's find a common ground. Like, what do you believe? What do we believe? Oh, you have St. Peter. Well, we have a guy that's just like that who's like guarding the gates of heaven. So we're just going to call him this, and I forget his name. Or they had the, you know, the doctrine that like the saints intercede on your behalf. So those who were practitioners of voodoo can then intercede for you and that kind of thing, which, you know, Catholicism adopts some of that as well. Uh, a lot of it's works-based, you know, religion as well. So it, it is a religion. Um, people that actually practice voodoo are very put off by hmm. the stereotypical, like, voodoo dolls and curses and things like that. But, um, yeah, so it's alive and well. <laughs> but, i have to look this up. It's fascinating. Yeah, so going into New Orleans, um, when we were in Natchez, I called Hannah, who is my lovely girlfriend, and we were just talking, and I was just... I was just telling her, I'm like, hey, just be praying for me because I know we're going to be interacting with a lot of people. It's a touristy place, but you never know. And so just uh, was trying to be intentional about being a, a gospel witness there. Had a, had a few cool opportunities, mainly with homeless people. And I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I always run into a lot of homeless people like wherever I go. Well, you dress like you're homeless. <clears throat> that, is, <laughs> that is valid. Uh, <laughs> especially as hot as it is, man. You're not wearing nice clothes. I was wearing shorts. And you never wear nice clothes. I don't really own nice clothes. No. Let's just be honest about no, it. No, you don't. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I ran into a lady um, who is, uh, you know, she's trying to get back on her feet. She wanted breakfast, asking for money. I'm like, I don't have money. Let's go get breakfast. So I went and took her to a place and um, got to pray with her. We went to a hotel, actually, to get food. And so I got to pray with her in the lobby of the hotel. And a couple people actually came up and joined us. And oh, got, sweet. So it was, it was sweet. Um, you know, and then had another opportunity where maybe not quite as encouraging we had there was a lady that i don't know if she was on something or if she was just drunk out of her mind or something but she she tripped fell backwards smacked her head really hard i mean you could hear it across the the block and so i ran over there to help her she was just trying to get me to help her up she's like not going to the hospital you know just swearing at me like don't be up you know <laughs> kind of thing and um so kind of kind of was being intentional with that conversation, but I, I doubt she remembers anything that, that we talked about. Um, but sweet lady, and, and there were a couple of people afterwards who were just like, hey, that's really cool that you were you were there. And I'm like, well, let me tell you why. Like, God, yeah. it's so good to be. Like, how could I not show that same grace and compassion to other people? And so um, little little opportunities like that came along. So that was cool. And then we drove out to, uh, drove out to Houston after that, spent a couple of days there. Um, Grant's girlfriend was finishing a college summer class out there with Teachers of America. So we hung out there for a couple of days and then brought her home um, straight from Houston. So it was a good trip. Um, went on uh, a trip with you and your youth group mm-hmm. to Kentucky Kingdom. And that's why I have no voice right now. So sorry if I'm squeaking and cracking people. It's, no, no, it's great. I love it. You know how you're with high schoolers and you kind of turn into a high schooler. <laughs> that's that's kind of how that worked. So, uh, but that was a really good, really good time as well. So uh, it's been the last couple of weeks and everything else has been kind of normal. So, hmm. What's up with you? My wife's pregnant again. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, but, but you already knew that. I did. Because I told you. I'm still going to be surprised. I told, I told you last. I know. No, not intentionally. Uh, I, I wanted I wanted to tell you first. I'm not taking it personally. It's fine. No, no you did. You, you are taking it personally. I am taking it You're so like personally. super upset right I now. I am. I'm hurting. It's okay. <laughs> I'm hurting. <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, yeah, she's pregnant. So yeah. we're expecting our, our second child. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Awesome. No, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm excited. We uh, don't know the gender yet. We still got to wait a couple weeks for that. Aren't you going to let your baby decide its own gender? Yeah. Good point. I don't <laughs> right. know. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, of, seriously. Man, I'm yeah. sorry. Got to get yeah. my progressive mentality here. Yeah, Got to wait till they're at least four at and least then let them four. Kind of pick it out, you know? They could pick it out when they're like three. I, I don't know. I don't think they have the mental capacity for that. It's How gotta... dare you? How dare you assume the mental capacity? I mean, I've seen your DNA, and I've—I mean, you got you a have son. The, you have the same DNA as you me. You got a son. This is not quite there, you know. Just my son's way smarter than you. Yeah, he—he's—he he can hold his head up. That's good. He—he's <laughs> uh, starting to walk. Is he? Um, he's taking on his own. Yeah. So I mean, if Mary and I hold him, he'll walk right. to us. So it's more of a stumble fall. Um, if you've seen Attack on Titan, which is an excellent anime, which I would recommend to people. Yeah, I don't watch anime because... But it's incredible. This, wow. Yeah, I have a life. Yeah. Yeah, I don't wow. apologize for that. None of you should watch anime. No, ever. stop. It's incredible. Stop it. Attack on Titan. Stop Anyways, it. he kind of walks like one of the monsters in stop Attack on Titan. So, that's uh, that's my exciting news. Cool. Yeah. That's way cooler. I'm glad, I'm glad I led. No, no, your story was great. Yeah, yeah. No, but it was still, you're having a kid, I'm man. Happy, it's hard to top that. You, you can't. Yeah. Unless you had two kids. So anyway, what are we, what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about confessions. Oh, you, have you been been to uh, see a priest recently? Get behind the black that's curtain? A, you were just making fun of my don't joke and you say that. <laughs> I, I mean, that's I mean, like, that's like almost, I, don't, I don't know what a confession is. All, all I know about a confession is that you go and you apologize for all the things that you've done and you, you share that with a priest. Stop it. You cannot make a joke that's a joke in our opening title thing, theme song. What? Because. Oh, yeah. We do that. Yeah. That's a little on the nose. Yeah. Sorry, audience. Where do you go, dummy? So what are, we t- what, 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 are we, what are we talking about? We're talking about the Westminster Confession of Faith. Oh, uh, I thought we were talking about London And how you Baptist. subscribe to that now. Oh, no. Not quite. No. no. Even though your pastor <laughs> oh. introduced me as an almost, <laughs> almost pedo-baptist to the uh, youth group. He, he came up to me on Sunday and, and he... <laughs> He kind of felt bad about it because he was like, man, I hope Adam doesn't think that's the only thing I care about. That's the only important issue. I was like, no, he knows. He knows. It, was, it was fun. I, do it I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. 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 But he likes you a lot. I like him too. He's he, a good dude. He likes you a lot. Yeah. Great pastor. So we're talking about confessions. Um, for those who don't know, how would you describe what a confession is? Mm, should have prepped for that little sentence. Uh, best I can do. Um, it is a conglomeration of biblical doctrines mm. compiled into a list. <laughs> you started out well and just right. ended with the list. Don't you hate it when good thing, or bad things happen to good sentences? Yeah. Um, yeah, a confession, you know, it... It's um, a concise summary of biblical truth. Nice. Thank you. Perfect. Someone yes. did their homework. A concise summary of biblical lists. <laughs> biblical lists. <laughs> lists. Yeah. So, you... Pseudo hold to the London Baptist, correct? And I pretty much am a full subscriptionist to the WCF. Sure. Almost, not quite. WCF meaning the Westminster, Westminster Confession, Confession of Faith, right. the True Thanks. Confession. So um, <laughs> I'll let it go. Perhaps we should talk a little bit about the history behind these confessions before we talk about why it is a good idea to hold to a confession. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Do you wanna? I should on? go first. Because the Westminster was... But the Baptists kind of were like the trailblazers here, let's be honest about it. No, the Baptists were people who cut, copied, and pasted. No, 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 no. That's the second. So, okay, I'm going first. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to let this happen. So, basically, um, 
what happened was the the Baptists, if, if you know much about church history, especially during uh, the time of the Reformation and shortly thereafter, you'll realize that there were Baptists, there were Presbyterians, there were Congregationalists, and there were these people called Anabaptists. And Anabaptists, if I asked you what they were, okay. you could pretty much... Anabaptists and Baptists... No, no, no. I were the same no, thing no, 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 no. Later. Don't tell me what I know. Okay, educate me. I'm, I, I'm trying if you'd be quiet. I'm asking minutes. a clarification question. So, so Anabaptist, if I were to ask you what is an Anabaptist, you could pretty much give me any definition you want and I would pretty much accept it because it was a very wide range of people, some of which were absolutely insane, some of which were only a little bit insane. Um, so what the Baptists did, what the Reformed Baptists did was they said, hey, we need to do something to separate ourselves from uh, the Anabaptists as well as our Presbyterian and Congregational brothers who they, um, I think, really did a great job of trying to hold unity with, um, but they still wanted to have uh, clear divisions between doctrines that they disagreed upon. So what they did was they came out with, uh, in 1644, which was two years before the Westminster Confession, they came out with the first London Baptist Confession. Pause. The WCF started in 1643. That's when they actually started meeting. It's just the Baptists were like, oh, crap, we got to get to it first. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so I'm so, sure they did this in like a day. It's fine. That's not... I mean, I wouldn't start surprised anyway. we had to come up with a second Right, right, right. Okay, so anyway, so the, so the first London Baptist Confession, there were seven <laughs> congregations that met together to, to form it. Adorable. Um, it wasn't It wasn't like you would see the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession in its, in its breadth and its depth. So... To be fair to Aaron, um, the Westminster really did a great job of putting their doctrines out there in a, in a clear, concise fashion. Which the Baptists would almost agree on them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Almost everything. Absolutely. So, so when the Baptists came out with the first London Baptist Confession, it was really to distinct, distinguish themselves from the Anabaptists and Arminians. That's like the, the two things that they put emphasis on. So that was 1644 when it was released. I'll turn it over to Aaron. You can tell me about the Westminster well, so the Westminster, uh, there's a lot of history involved in that, and we don't have the time, and I don't have the capability of explaining everything properly. But a brief overview, we should talk a little bit about the English Reformation mm-hmm. uh, before we really go forward. So um, most of us know about Martin Luther and the 95 Theses and the German Reformation and all that good stuff. So that, that has already all taken place. So Henry VIII of England wanted offspring. He wanted children. He wanted a successor. And the woman he was married to, she was not getting pregnant when um, they were trying to have kids. So he wanted to get a divorce and marry someone else who was who he thought fertile so he could have offspring. So he goes up to the Pope and he's like, hey, Pope, um, I want to get a divorce. Help me out. And the Pope says, sorry, Jack, I can't do that. Rightly so. Okay, so good job for the Pope. Good job, Pope. Henry VIII says, okay, screw you. I'm creating my own um, church. Boom, the Church of England. And that opened up um, the way for the Reformation to come in and take root in England. Um, Joke on Henry VIII, he was the actual one who couldn't have children, not his spouse. Mm. So, um, Always blaming the woman. Always blaming the women. Way to go, Adam. Way to go. Yeah, Adam. Adam. (laughs) It's age-old tale. So anyways, ever since then, um, the monarchs, they would flip-flop back and forth between being sympathetic to Protestants and sympathetic to the Catholics. So the church at that time was 
very ununified. There was it was very divisive, um, just just not good at all. So in 1643, a parliament was called, and they said, "Look, we need to figure out what the church believes." And at that time, um, the monarch was Protestant sympathetic. So we have a Protestant confession. So the point of this confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, was to provide unity within the churches. Mm-hmm. It was to provide clarity for um, the laity as well as the uh, preachers, because a lot of them, you know, didn't know anything about the Bible. So these would be Catholic priests, and then all of a sudden, from the top down, the doctrine changes, and like, what, what? So I don't really understand. Right. So I mean, to us, that doesn't make any sense. Right. But that's just that's just the way things work then. Sure. Um, so. It was to provide clarity, and it was to provide accountability right. um, between all those churches. Right. So they met in 1643 um, to talk about this. So this was a bunch of different people. So this would have been um, congregationals, Presbyterians. There were some Episcopalians in there, which I think is very interesting because that's a whole that's a whole other topic. Um, Presbyterians, the um, what's that covenant called? The divine? No, no, no. Hang on, hang on. The Covenanters came up with the, the covenant that was supposed to make all of Scotland Presbyterian and all of England Presbyterian. I'm going to get this wrong, um, and then you're going to laugh at me. Is it the Westminster Divine? No, no, well, no the Westminster Divines... Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure what that is. Okay, so that's, that's not it. A I'm, I'm, it. We should edit this out, because I'm looking like a fool. Or keep it in, because it's funny. People can laugh at me. Yeah, this is the first time you've done but, something stupid instead of me. So. It's not true. <laughs> I, I, still, I still take flag for the diarrhea, would you rather? Oh, that was terrible. So... I mean, it was fun. I, it was, it was, I had fun. Yeah, as long but, as we're having okay, fun. Okay, so this is about us. So, this isn't about you. So apparently Mary's met some people in the, the neighborhood, and they're Christians, and they go to some uh, some pretty solid churches or whatever, and so she told them that they have a podcast. <laughs> so her husband, uh, Mary's friend's husband, listened to her podcast, and I still haven't met him yet. So his introduction to me is going to be this cast, mm. which I don't know how I feel about that, which maybe suggests that I should step it up a little bit. Mm. So anyways, there's that. So... <laughs> Back to the um, confession, you were right about the Westminster Divines. They were the ones who really met for this. So right. they are called the Westminster Divines. Um, they met for from 1643 to 1646, which is when they wrote the confession. So it took them kind of three years to iron out a lot of um, mm-hmm. the doctrine and get the wording right. And there was a lot of compromise with some of the wording just because you had people disagreeing on some things. So if you read the confession, um, some people were hardcore and for lapsarianism and other were super lapsarianism, which doesn't really matter for this conversation. So the sure. way the way things are worded when it comes to God's divine decree, it's pretty loose, so you can interpret it either way. Right. Um, so, and, and there's room for that, and that's fine. So after they came out with the confession, they then wrote the Shorter Catechism and the Longer Catechism, which came out in 1647 and 1648, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. So that's the brief history of this confession. All right. So then on to the second London Baptist Confession, um, just to clarify, so I understand. So the first London Baptist came out in 1644. Correct. Then the Westminster came out two years 1646. later. 1646. And then London Baptist saw what the Westminster said, and they're like, we like some of that. Well, or they were like, we really don't like our first confession. So here's, so here's how it works. The first confession was really there to, to distinguish themselves from Anabaptists mm-hmm. and Arminians. It wasn't a full, fully orbed confession like what we have in the 1689 or the Westminster. Okay. Um, so it, it, it omitted a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, so was that just neglect or did they just, it, it just it wasn't, the, it just wasn't the purpose of why they met originally. Gotcha. Um, but then in the 1660s, I don't know if you're familiar with the Clarendon Code, but that was basically 
established to crush any dissent from the official religion of the state, which I believe was Catholicism. Um, and so there were periods of rigorous application and intervals of relaxation. And so Presbyterians, Congregationalists, and Baptists were all kind of under this persecution uh, okay. from, from 1660 to 1689. Right. So in 1677 um, was when that the Second London Baptist Confession was actually written. Mm. 107 congregations this time. Much better. <laughs> yeah, rather than seven. 107 representatives from, or sorry, representatives from 107 different congregations sure. got together. Um, they established the um, Second London Baptist Confession, which they make no uh, attempt to hide the fact that it was very closely modeled after the Westminster. Mm. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. So the Westminster did a really good job, and so they're like, hey, we should adopt most of this stuff. Um, changed a couple things as far as covenant theology, baptism, a couple different things. So Ecclesiology. Ecclesiology, right. Um, Is that all? Or the... That's all I can think of off the top of my head. Some, at some point, I want to go through chapter by chapter and compare differences between right. the two. Yeah. yeah, that'd be fun to do. So I'm still trying to learn most of this, though, because I've, I've read through it, um, but I haven't like done it so many times that it's all in my in my noggin. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't point you to like, oh, this is chapter 22 of the one about, you know, so I'm trying to get to that point. Um, but anyway, so in 1677 is when they actually met. However, they couldn't actually publicly publish this because of the, um, the Claritin Code, which was, you know, there to, to crush any dissent from the mm-hmm. official religion. So mm-hmm. it was published anonymous, anonymously. It was dispersed to those 107 congregations. <clears throat> so there was unity there. Um, I really love that the Baptists were um, really striving for unity with the Congregationalists and Presbyterians as well. Solemn League and Covenants. That's what it was. Sorry. It just, everyone had to sign it and be like, yeah, we're Presbyterian, not Episcopalian. I'm sorry. No, it just came to my head. That's fine. So in, nice Google. Uh, No, it wasn't. So in 1677 (laughs) is when it was published anonymously. But then William and Mary assumed England's throne in 1689. And in 1689, they passed what's called the Act of Toleration, um, which basically just opened it up for for different religions to come in. So progressive. Right, exactly right. Um, So at that point, the 107 congregations met together again. They added a couple of endorsements and amendments, and then they published it, and it was widely dispersed to Baptist churches. So that's that's where it came from. So when you read the London Baptist and when you read the Westminster, you're going to find that a lot of the wording is like almost identical, if not completely mm-hmm. identical, because it, it is very much a almost carbon copy. It's the you know Westminster was the rough draft, the uh, London Baptist was the final draft, got an A plus. <laughs> um, I have uh, that's my dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I, anyway, that's the history. I have a legitimate question. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when did Baptists like officially come on the scene? We've always been on the scene. What are you talking about? Okay, and, and we'll have that argument another time. Yeah, which, no, which, which you know what I mean. Like when, because I was always under the assumption that it was kind of the Anabaptists, and then the Baptists kind of like sprang forward from the Anabaptists, like um, kind, no, kind of like alien. Just I, I don't, I don't know, man. Because you have you have Anabaptists that could probably fit in this category. Right. <clears throat> well, so Anabaptist just means rebaptizing, right? So, so that—that's my it, yeah. It means well, not rebaptizing. Well, I guess yes, rebaptizing because the Catholic Church had been baptizing infants for forever, and so the Presbyterians were like, "Yeah, hey, we're cool." 
And uh, the Baptists were like, no, we're not cool. And then you have Anabaptists, like, if you read up on um, the debacle at Munster, you know, where... I wouldn't... I mean, those, I those were Anabaptists, yeah, they were but they were... Though. They were, they were, they were like, cold. Yeah, exactly. Not they cold. were, they were like, worshipping a, a guy who was claiming to hear... Yon like, Matthias. get direct... Yeah, Matthias, getting direct revelation from the Lord and that kind of thing. It was just a weird... Mm-hmm. So Anabaptists all over the place. And there was a lot of persecution, too. <clears throat> so... It's, it gets muddied, um, but you could call some of the Anabaptists, I believe, um, Reformed Baptists as well. Right. That, that was the word Anabaptist. The word Anabaptist just means to rebaptize. So. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. But there were a lot of crazies. We should do a study on that someday. Yeah, I would have to. Yep. <laughs> okay, let's take a break and let's play a little game. All right. Okay, so this is not so much a game as it is a quiz. Oh man. Okay, so this oh, is. Is it open book? No. Okay. Dude, you're gonna you're gonna do great. No, okay? I'm not. That you're going to do fantastic. So this quiz is on the Trinity. 325 AD. No. <laughs> 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 this is on Okay, It's just true or false. Oh, questions. man. All right. So this is the first question. Okay. There are 33, so we're going to pound these quickly. Oh, this is going to be bad. Okay. True or false? There is one God. True. Good. Okay. That is true. True or false? God is one person. False. Good job. Thanks. See statement four of the Athanasian's Creed. Good. Um, God is three beings. Define beings. He's three persons. One being is how I would. True or false? God is three beings. False. False. Good job. Thank you. All right. There are three persons in the Godhead. True. True. This statement is true. Man, this is a really fun game. Yeah. Stop. Well, hey, <laughs> okay, come on. All right. all right, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. Jeez. Oh, we're, good. we're good. The three persons in the Godhead have always related to one another as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. True or false? Bum, bum, bum. True. True. Good. See, I'm going to burn you at the stake for getting these wrong. Because, oh, wow. <laughs> this is what happened. We'll get there. Look. Yeah. Well, the only reason I was hesitating on that one, because always related as the Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit, like you don't have the revelation of the Son until the New Testament, but you have like in Genesis. False. Well, I mean, like, so, so, so Genesis one twenty six doesn't, doesn't relate. As, I mean, you get, you have the Father, you have the Spirit, but you also have the us statement, like, let us make, the Son's not mentioned there, but he's still mentioned as being there. He's mentioned all there. throughout the Psalms. He's mentioned well, I understand, in the prophets. I understand. That's but the Old you, Testament, but when, you say, buddy. but when you say always, like always related to, does that mean like every time it's related, like every time that the second no, person no, no, of the they, Trinity is brought they up? They are always related to each other. Oh, yeah. That's okay. totally different. Gotta thing. listen to the question. All right. Each of the three persons of the Godhead is one third God. False. False. That's partialism. Come That's on, Partialism, Patrick. The Father is fully God. True. Good. See, these are easy. You were worried. The Father has the whole fullness of God's being in himself. True. True. Yes. The Father is eternal. True or false? True. Good, Adam. See? The Father is not the Son. False. Oh, get the pyres out. What? No, I and the Father are one. The Father is not the Son. That's semantical. No, it's not. Yes, it is. You can, no, it's not. Did the Father die on the cross and bear our punishment? No. There you go. So they're not the same. And yet they are they, one they, in they, being. They, they are 
both fully God. That's a, that's but a you have to distinguish. No, it's not. Yes, it is. You're just mad because you're burning at the stake right now. <laughs> okay. How many strikes do I get before I actually have Oh, you're already there. You have uh, one. One? Um, so this is your second life. The Father is the Holy Spirit. Well, apparently, yes. No! That's what you just said? No, oh, it's apparently not. Apparently, no. Sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. Man, you are a full-blown heretic. <laughs> <laughs> the Son is half human and half divine. False. All right, we're back on track. Union. We're back on track, you know baby. Term. In his humanity, the Son is subordinate to the Father. False. Unless you're uh Boom. Line him up. Nope. Sorry. Pull those matches on the fire. Oh, in the sun. Oh, oh, oh not oh. eternally. Not eternally, but yes, he was subordinate in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. No, I got that. I got that one right. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yes, I did. No. Yes, I did. It's not I dude. I'm it's very, too late. Okay. It's the wood's burning, man. I I got enough. I can't. Alright. I can't get to you. I'll get the matches. <laughs> <laughs> the sun has the whole fullness of God's being in himself. Yes, true. Good. Good, Adam. Okay. We're on question 15. The sun came into being at the time of his incarnation. True or false? False. Good. See? All right. The sun was brought into being in eternity past. That implies created. Yeah, this was a confusing question for me. I had to think about it for a while. The sun was brought into being in, in eternity, eternity past. past. He was not brought. So so false. Okay. False. The Christ was created by the Father before the rest of creation. It is one of the doctrines of Arianism, a heresy denounced <laughs> by both the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Constantinople. But which nonetheless still exists today for instance in the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses. See the Athanasius Creed, the Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. Good. I was actually listening to White talk about that on the way over here. Yeah. The Son is eternal. True. True. That was Good. chewing something. He actually has James White's definition of the Trinity in here. <clears throat> yes. Score. Um, the Son is not the Father. <laughs> this is the same question. The son is not the father. Right. True. Good. You're learning. The son is the Holy Spirit. False. See, if this were the type of test I were taking, like in an insurance exam, I know I'd miss like five of these just from misreading the question. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is fully God. True. All right, we're on question 21. The Holy Spirit has the whole fullness of God's being in himself. True. Yep. The Holy Spirit is a force. <laughs> what does that even mean? That's, just, that's the question. What does that even mean? Okay. There's a force. The Holy Spirit is a force. force. To be reckoned with. Uh, I'm going to go with false. Good. Yeah, that's a bad way to describe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Spirit is a person. Right. Not a force. Sorry, Star Wars. Hmm. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. True. Also, Star Wars is also something I've thought about a lot. When it, like you, you know how you like read, or I mean, you watch a movie or something, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. biblical themes. I've never been able to understand the Force because the Force is like the Holy Spirit, and then like the Force chooses you, so that's like election. But then there's also no, things in there that I'm like, what? I'm one with the Force, and the Force is with me. Right, so then there's those, right. 
The Holy Spirit is not the Son. True. Good. Good. In the nature, oh, sorry, in their nature, the Son and the Holy Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. True. True. The Son and the Spirit are subordinate to the Father in their essence or nature. False. Good. Only for a time period. <laughs> right. Was well, I wouldn't even say the, the Spirit son. is subordinate. No, the Son. Right. The Son, right. yeah, on, on earth here. Yep. God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in different eras or for different purposes, but never at the same time. False. Nailed that one. Didn't even wait. That's because it was... The person of the Trinity, or the persons of the Trinity, have distinct roles. Yeah. Now who's the now who's the heretic? Okay. Yeah. I didn't answer this question. I just misread the. They uh, do have uh, distinct NS. roles. Yes. True. So true. The persons of the Trinity have distinct roles. Correct. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three different names for one person of God, as He displays His work in three distinct roles. Wow. Read that one again. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are three different names for the one person of God as he displays. Okay. Correct. A right understanding of the Trinity is vital to right worship of God. True. Yeah, no one's going to say false on that. I hope not. Um, a right understanding of the Trinity. I'm sorry. If anybody said, sorry. Um, a right understanding of the Trinity is vital to a right understanding of redemption. Um, true. Totally true. I kind of blanked out for a second and caught the end of the question and <laughs> had to catch up. An analogy used to explain the Trinity will fail to represent it with complete accuracy. True. Definitely. True. Unless you use like the egg analogy no. or like the water no, analogy. No, not that one either. No. Neither one of those work. Like the clover analogy. No. 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 Like the, the three different roles of the husband, the husband father, and employee. Worker. Yeah. Kind no, of, no, that doesn't, no, no. Uh-uh. Okay. Just don't, don't use analogies. Okay. Just stay away from those. Gotcha. You're going to fall into heresy. Okay, last question. Okay, do it. We cannot confidently derive the doctrine of the Trinity from the biblical text. False. I don't know, man. You were saying earlier that you couldn't see the sun in the Old Testament. That's not what I said. That's what I heard. That's not Go back and play what it. I said. All right, let's see here. How many questions did you get right? All of them. No, you didn't. <laughs> yes, because it was just Ooh, wording. 31 out of 33. Mm. You, you, are, you are part heretic. Mm. Okay. So do I get a full burning? <laughs> I'm going to just cut your heart, arm off. <clears throat> oh, mercy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Okay, all right. Thanks for that. Let's, let's get back to the confessions. Cool. Um, so why do we have them? What's the point? Well, like I said, so confessions are for unity in the church. They're for clarity and doctrine, and they're for accountability to keep us from heresy. Okay, unity. What was the second one? Clarity. Clarity. And accountability. Accountability. Yes. Um... Unity, clarity, and accountability. Mm -hmm. So by accountability, do you mean like preservation of biblical doctrines? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about unity first. So how do the confessions bring about unity? Uh, well, so if I say I hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith, you can say, oh, I hold to the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is virtually the same thing. So we are united in how we understand the scriptures. Right. Which is all a confession is, is just a very quick summary of biblical doctrine right so it gives us unity and um, God's sovereignty it gives us unity in things like um, justification sanctification um, Christ it gives us unity in um, where works take place it gives us unity and assurance all, all types of things as you just go through each chapter um, it, it unites the church okay nice 
Um, and clarity, when I think of clarity, I, you know, because of, because of the history that I was talking about with, um, with the Baptist and a lot of Baptist confession and things like that, a large portion of that was to distinguish themselves from other groups that um, may misrepresent Scripture or misunderstand Scripture, that kind of thing. So um, I think clarity provides, or clarity is provided by one distinguishing yourself so that like if you visited my church, you're like, oh, what do you like? What do you hold to? It's like, oh, we hold to this. You you know where we are going to differ and where we are going to agree. So you know our churches, my church actually isn't confessional, <laughs> but no, I know, I know, well, I know. Um, are there is there any like I don't know mega church? I'm not trying. That's not an insult. But are there any <clears throat> mega churches that you think would be confessional? Not that I know yeah. of. I mean, so the village, like Chandler, I, I would say it. I would say Chandler is probably confessional himself. Well, it depends because another. So um, you said that I pseudo subscribe to the 1689, which is which well. Is, I said that to be safe because I wasn't <clears throat> sure. Well, it's it's fair though. I think. Um, I would say that I, I subscribe to probably 90, 95, 94% of it's it. that part in baptism that you don't agree with, right? No. <laughs> um, there, there are certain things. So like the application of the regulative principle, mm-hmm. um, I think. What is the, well, maybe you could tell me that It's, it's going to be the same. It's going to be the same? Good for yeah. you. Um, so, I, you know, I, I have to be careful about this because I'm not saying that I disagree with them. I'm just saying the jury's still out. Sure. Um, so, so it's one thing to be like, oh, I don't believe that. It's another thing to be like, well, this is kind of where I am at the moment. Um, I can see arguments that I'm not there yet kind of thing, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna die on a hill and tell people they're worshiping wrong or mm-hmm. what, you know, so, uh, there's those kind of things. So when I think about like some of the things in the 1689, I'm thinking about the village and I'm like, well, they can't fully subscribe to it because they do things this way or they do, you know, mm-hmm. like, so I, I don't know that there's a mega church author that I know of that would subscribe fully yeah. to any of the confessions. Well, I mean, there's even However, PCA churches that in theory <clears throat> hold to the Westminster confession, right? But in practice, it's like, you know. a lot of, yeah, a lot of them hold to like the Heidelberg or something. Um, catechisms. PCA? I don't think so. I think the Heidelberg well, would be the Dutch is, reformed, but yeah, but that's, that's more Dutch reformed heritage, okay. which, which yeah. Heidelberg is more Dutch. So, so, um, not to tarnish anybody, uh, a lot of churches build their, um, their statement of faiths and things around these confessions, I believe, mm-hmm. but, um, don't necessarily like subscribe 100% fully to them. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there are churches in the area that do, um, several, I think yours does. So, um, I know there are plenty of others. Well, what's interesting about my church is like the RPCNA is not like, in order to be an elder there, teaching a ruling elder, you have to subscribe to the Westminster Confession. However, we do not require the members of the church to hold sure. to it, which I think is well, biblical. I don't think right. I don't think that a church can say you have to hold to this um, beautiful yet fallible, right? Exactly. Not inspired text, right? So that's that's an important point to bring up. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, so so unity, clarity. Well, uh, clarity. I would almost think. Especially in our context today, clarity is very helpful in distinguishing ourselves between like Mormons or Jehovah's Absolutely. Witnesses. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm um, reading Kingdom of the Colts by Walter Martin right now, and the second chapter of that book has to do with terminology mm-hmm. and how when Christians say one thing and a cultist says another thing, Jesus, for instance, yeah. we mean completely different things. Yeah. So when I say Jesus, 
you can look at the Westminster Confession of what I mean by Jesus, yeah. what I mean by Christ, what I mean by God. Yeah. So it, it provides clarity in doctrine. Right. So it's not this loosey-goosey kind of up-in-the-air idea of Jesus. It's, right. No, this is Jesus of Scripture. The or way. like when, yeah, when Catholics talk about the Immaculate Conception or right. something, you know, we're talking about something totally different. We're talking about Christ being born sinless they're talking about mary being born sinless and then like continuing to be sinless well, apparently i think like her mary's mom was i don't know whatever i don't who knows i'm not I'm getting out of my element here I no yeah idea. so 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 things like that it does bring clarity and then you know as a as a congregation member of the you know of the church you want to know where your church stands mm-hmm. on certain things not everything is going to like there could be doctrines <clears throat> that um you may not touch on every single week um, necessarily like, oh, what does my church believe about this particular mm-hmm. thing? But when you're going and visiting a church, you know, you have something that you can say, oh, they hold to the 1689, the Westminster. So I, I know that I have a pretty good idea that this is how it's mm-hmm. going to be practiced and played out. So there's there's clarity there. Um, and then what was the last thing? Accountability. Accountability. So um, accountability, especially in an elder's context, when you, when you become an elder, you are saying, I subscribe to this confession, whichever one it is. And so when you deviate away from that, you can be like, look, man, you, you subscribe to this. This is what you're holding to, and this is how you're deviating from it, and you need to come back. Yeah. So, um, all, I mean, again, ultimately, I have to say this because I know there's some people out there, well, what about Scripture? Like I said, a confession is a concise... Um, what, what did I say? I don't know. I don't know. It's a concise statement of what Scripture list. teaches. <laughs> yes. It's a concise list, indeed. Uh, a biblical truth. A biblical truth. Yeah. Right. So, and I know this is a pet peeve of some people when you're talking about some certain doctrine that you're wrestling with and they say, well, the confession says this right. and they leave it at that and people can get frustrated. It's like, okay, well, great. What does the scripture say? Right. And so when they say the confession, this is another thing that's really beautiful about these confessions is there are scripture proofs. Right. And so it's a shortcut of saying, this is what the confession says with these scripture proofs instead of going all to all these scripture proofs and going through all this exegesis and stuff. So there are times when I think it's appropriate to say this yeah. is what the confession says. On the other hand, it is absolutely appropriate and vital that we also use these scripture texts right. and the scripture proofs. And, and so on that note, I mean, this is why when I say that I subscribe to most of the 1689, I'm not saying that I disagree with the other 5% or so. Mm-hmm. Because... Obviously, this is a fallible text, but I mean, when you look at the people that were involved in putting this oh, together, yeah. um, they're smarter you know, than you, man. They're reading it in the Greek. They've been alive longer than you. Like they reading from original sources. Like all this stuff, you're going up against not one, not two. In this case, uh, London Baptist, you're going up against representatives from 107 different congregations of Reformed Baptists that are smarter and godlier than you are. So so to say like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to deviate from this because I don't agree with it. Like there may be a time for that and and there's definitely room to question things in the confession, but you also need to understand that um, you, you are going up against <laughs> wise, smart, godly men. You're taking on giants there and so when you're going to do that, you need to do that prayerfully and humbly and, humbly. and um, yeah, it, it's just it, it is a very good document. We're not saying it's fa- or infallible or inerrant. It's it is written by men, but it is very um, it is very well done to the point where they they have studied the scriptures. And I think the proofs are helpful. Now, there's something to be said about pulling six passages and saying these are my proofs for this area, rather than looking at the entire 
you know, scripture and seeing how it all builds on itself. But I mean, they are helpful when you're looking well, at I, things. Some I, of it's just I would almost say when you go through the, the confession, you are building on scripture. So you've got, um, your chapters on the Trinity and everything, but then you start at creation. Right. And so, so you are kind of building a foundation. So the scripture proofs, they're not isolated from the rest of this text. They're, they're building off of each other. Sure. So you get to the chapter on justification. Well, before that, you've got a chapter on providence. True. And yeah. then, and then before that, you've got it on creation. And then after those two, you've got the fall of man, the punishment, and then you've got God's covenants and everything. Right. So, absolutely. So I don't think it's fair to say that these texts are taken out and they're not built on the whole totality of scripture when in fact they actually are, and especially in the way that um, the confessions are structured. Sure. And, and I, I understand that, but there's also, I mean, you read some of these. So if, if I'm reading through, cause I've been, I've been guilty of this, mm-hmm. you read through and you're like, Oh, here's some scripture proofs and you pull it up and you're like, wow, okay, that really didn't prove the point, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like to, to do that. And I mean, it does build on itself, but if you're like, so if I'm sitting in church and someone says something, I'm like, Oh, I wonder what the confession says about that. And I open up to that chapter and I'm like, Oh, here it is. That kind of thing. And I'm looking at a proof. Like I'm not looking at the rest of what's, what's built in here. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, it does build on itself, but it's still not the totality of scripture. Mm-hmm. So, um, all I'm saying in that is that you do need to be seeking the scriptures and the confessions are a great tool to be able to do that and make sure that you're not, um, you know, replaying age old heresies. So that's part of what I guess accountability, um, is I think you made a great point about, um, when you hold to a, a document like this and you can support it with scripture or this actually would support scripture and someone is, is walking away from that or in rebellion towards it, you can say, Hey, here's where you're, here's where you're going aside. Um, says so in the confession, here's where it pulls from in scripture, you point onto that. I mean, it's a, it's a helpful tool, um, mm-hmm. I think in that regard. Sure. Um, as far as preservation is concerned, I, I saw a really great, um, I guess it was a meme. Usually I think memes is funny, but um, this one was just, this was just a really good illustration where if you can picture like two pillars on, on either side and then you have doctrines like the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of man's depravity or God's providence or those kind of things. And you see these things going in like every di- different direction. So the Trinity's shooting out to the right and you know, the uh, doctrine of God's providence is to the left and other ones going up and all over the place. If you don't have the confession in place, you can really start losing your way on some of these, some of these doctrines. Um, they, they serve very much as boundaries. As boundaries, right? So that way that you're not, you know, you're not redoing the same heresies that have been condemned at the Council of Nicaea. You're not becoming an Arian or a partialist or whatever. Um, so I think it's helpful uh, in that regard as well. Sure. So. What would you say to someone who says, I don't think that confessions are unbiblical or are biblical? Are biblical? I don't think confessions are biblical or confessions are unbiblical. What would you say to that? Um, not sure. I mean, do they think that any confession, like the Apostles' Creed or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, we can use that too. So uh, we can talk about creeds first. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, no creed but Christ. Right. Response. These are all built on the truths of Scripture. We're not pulling from outside sources. That's That would be my response. Like, the, these are the words of Scripture put into a clear and concise... I don't know. That's probably not the answer. You look disappointed. No, no, no. I, I'm just, I, no, no, it's fine. I, let me let me ask you. Let's role play. Okay. <clears throat> you know what? Yes, sir. No creed but the Bible. And I'm tired of these churches that say, ah, oh, we hold to the Westminster Confession because the Westminster says. Well, guess what? 
the Bible says to follow the Bible. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow the Bible. I don't care about any of your confessions or creeds or anything so no, like no that. no creed but Christ, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would stroke my beard mm. and I would say, it's an interesting creed you have there, sir. Oh. No creed but Christ. So, one, they're not consistent with their own standard. Two, even, even in Scripture, God gives us creeds. God gives us things to say over and over again. So, when you look at Deuteronomy... Um, this is Deuteronomy 1 through, or 6, 1 through 9. Um, now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments for which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may be multiplied greatly, as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you, and the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the, your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So the, the real thing that Moses, through God, is telling the people is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So this is something that, um, that we're given to say, to recite. It is a creed that, that we are to repeat over and over and over. And it is to be an outflow of everything that we do. It is to um, structure us and how we think about the rest of Scripture and who God is and what he's done and what he will do and what he's continuing to do even now. So, and as you, as you look throughout Scripture, you've got all kinds of these creed-like statements. Romans 10 um, that if you shall confess with your mouth that the Lord is Jesus, you shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made in salvation. Um, Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, through 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And the list goes on and on. And so you just have these, these passages in, in Scripture that are short, they're pithy, they're easy to remember that we are supposed to recite and say over and over again. So hmm. when it comes... It's interesting that you got all of that from Scripture, right. not from your confession. So <laughs> going, going to creeds, we have these creeds that are written in responses to heresy. So the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the, sure. uh, all those types of things, they are responses to say, look, this is what Orthodox Christianity believes and teaches about Jesus being God, about him being born of a Virgin Mary, about him being crucified under Pontius Pilate, a historical figure happened in real time, things that you can look back, being the Holy Spirit, all these other things that, that we hold to as Christians. So when, when I talk to someone who says, I don't have any confessions, I don't have any creeds, whenever you ask them anything they believe about the scriptures, they are giving you their confession of what they believe. So who is Jesus? Oh, Jesus is God. So they are confessing that Jesus is God at the time. Now, here's the difference between my confession and Joe Schmo, not us, Joe Schmo's confession, is that my confession has been written, it's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it can be looked at, it can be analyzed, it can be critiqued, and if it needs to be corrected, I doubt that's ever going to happen because sometimes we just can't correct things, but it's possible that that could happen, whereas you, who or hold it already in did your it. heart, <laughs> you, within your heart, you have this confession that is not open to peer review. 
It's not open for me to look at. It's not open for me to say, okay, I actually think you're deviating from scripture here, or maybe you should clarify things a little bit better here. Okay. You are out and about on your, on yourself, no accountability, nothing. Whereas these confessions and these creeds are tested. They're timely. They're true. And anybody can look at them at any time to say, Hey, look, maybe you're off here. Right. And maybe that's possible. You can't do that if you don't have something written down. Right. And you, I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting jacked. He's preaching. He's preaching. Way to yell into the mic. RIP to anyone listening with headphones. <laughs> but no, that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, otherwise you're just leaving all of scripture open to your own interpretation. There's no, there's no boundaries. There's um, no such thing as orthodoxy. There, I mean, it, it's just, it's all you. Um, I also think it's interesting that in Deuteronomy 31, um, right before Moses dies, God basically says, hey, I know that these people are rebellious. I know what they're going to do. Um, they're going to turn away from me. So here's what you need to do. Write this song down that I'm giving you and have them recite it. So God's speaking to them through song because we know that song is a very effective way of remembering things and um, reciting things. And so, so you'd say God gives us songs to sing to him? We're not even going to go there. I'm not even going to follow into that track. We'll talk about that next week, I'm sure. Uh, but he gives he gives them this song that uh, is not you know sung in churches. For some reason. I Psalm eighty nine, the Psalm of Moses. Yeah, anyway, so so the uh, you did you fell into it. I did. You just did. dived into it. Like you did head first. Um, but anyway, so he gives them this song that they are to recite, that they are to remember, because God knows our hearts are, are wicked and um, easy to uh, prone to wonder, if you will. So so um, so there's that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, creed in and of itself, right there. I think, or confession in and of itself, something like that. But anyway, so you have any other thoughts or? Um, well, I have, I have a couple. One, I do want to say I still have a genuine Christian love for my brothers and sisters in Christ who don't hold the creeds and confessions. Um, I, I think you need to. I think you should. Um, I love you, and I know I was pumped, I was jacked about that because I, I, it's important. I think it's incredibly important. Um, and I do one other thing. Do you remember the article that I sent you like five weeks ago? Did I read it? I don't know. You what never responded it? to it. That I probably didn't read it. Okay. Was it? So here's the gist of the article and I'm bringing this up for a reason. So the article is entitled, um, popular blogs that we don't need anymore or that need to stop. Yeah, definitely didn't read it. <laughs> Thanks man. It's I even said, Hey, this is great. It kind of makes me think of the podcast. Oh. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if I even read that caption. <laughs> wow. Okay. So anyways, the point of the article was, look, we've got a lot of um, people who love Jesus, who love the Lord, and they love to write, um, but they're young and they're inexperienced, and they're speaking with authority that they really don't have. So we've got all kinds of people who are following them when they really don't have the experience or the wisdom or the humility to be putting stuff out like that and having that type of following. So, so but what you're not saying is that people should not be speaking about what they know about Scripture. They shouldn't be evangelizing and things. It's just when you have a platform like that right. with a following of, I'm saying of a, sheep, uh, if you will. A platform comes with a lot of responsibility. And I know that we don't really we have like a 30-people platform. Hello, everyone who listens. <laughs> um, but... What I want to say is, and our title kind of gets that, we are just Joe Schmo people. The, the things that we talk about, if they're accurate, are things that we've learned from reading smart people who have earned the ability to put out information like that. People who have doctorates, you know, people who are professors, things like that. Whereas Adam and I are just basically having a conversation 
with each other recording it because we both love listening to podcasts and we think it'd be fun to have our own. So that, that being said, we have, we have no authority and we are open to um, correction and rebuke if we need it. Uh, at least I'd like to think that we are. I'm nodding my head. I agree. So he's nodding his head. <laughs> so um, take that for what you will. This is just a silly podcast where we goof off and talk about serious things, but also diarrhea. diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, that's all I got. I mean, let's land this baby. All right. You want to tell me about uh, oh, yeah. what would happen oh, to me man. because I missed two questions. I on totally the... dropped the ball. So we have five minutes before we hit the hour mark. So let me do this quick. Do it. So last week we talked about Calvinism and in our, what are we calling this thing? I don't know. Funky town with church history. We'll, we'll come up with something. No. Rebuke us for that. Cause that's just <laughs> awful. We want to tell you about something that happened a long, long time ago in church history. Yes. Go. So we talked about Calvinism last week and I wanted to talk about Michael Servetus um, because people who are against Calvinism often like to bring up that name. So if anybody does, excuse me, doesn't know about Servetus, Servetus was a man who ended up being burned at the stake and Mike or Mike, um, his name was Michael. And John Calvin had um, a big part of that. So when you bring up Calvinism, people go, this guy murdered people, so how can you follow a system? So first, let me just say, um, doesn't mean what he taught wasn't true. So there's that. So, right. And you've got people like Peter who sins all the time, but the things that he writes are, are true. I mean, granted, those are inspired, and Calvin's works are not um, biblical inspiration no but you can't just say that anyone who's who's done good work pastors who have fallen away or done something like i think of driscoll had a lot of great influence and a lot of great Mm -hmm. things you can't just discredit all of his work because of an error right right so So i want to i want to kind of tell that story i'm going to tell it briefly so first let's start with john calvin and john calvin was a man of his time so at that time there was not a separation of church and state like we understand it now the church and state work together kind of hand in hand. Stop. It's not true. Don't give me that. No, I'm just just thinking about something else. What, what are you thinking about? It doesn't matter. No, come on. You're, you're smirking at me and I'm like... You know, it's just that John Calvin was a Presbyterian and really was pushing for that whole uh, church and state thing. But that's fine. It's cool. Don't worry about it. No, I've had this conversation with people before. That's fine. You can, you can rebuke fine. me later and, okay. and educate me. So, so anyways, and even if he was, let's just grant that, even if he was pushing for that... It doesn't change the fact that that wasn't the case. So at that time, church and state were not separated. So um, in comes Michael Servetus. Now Michael Servetus was hated by Protestants. He was hated by Catholics. He was hated by everyone because he was he was a dirtbag and he was a massive heretic, denying the Trinity um, and, and all types of things. So he and Calvin had a long-standing relationship where they write letters back and forth. So Calvin would publish something, Servetus would read it and be like, I think this is crap and write a response to it or or a rebuttal. And so Calvin and him would go back and forth. So Calvin uh, in his youth had to flee France because it was Catholic controlled and they were just murdering all the Protestants at that time. Um, Because again, no separation of church and state. And at that time, France was dominated by Catholics. So he ran away. He ended up in Geneva who was Protestant. So without going into all those details, he's he's at Geneva. Um, so through these interactions that Servetus and Calvin had, Servetus was like, hey, let's meet in France and let's talk about this, you know, face to face instead of all these written stuff. So um, at great expense to his life, Calvin agrees. So Calvin shows up to France, shows up to the meeting place, and he gets stood up by Servetus. So boom, you've got bad blood right there. 
because Calvin's putting his life on the line. So he he automatically hates Servetus. So then he goes, he gets back to Geneva. He doesn't die, thank God. And he writes him like, what, what, what's going on, dude? What's, what, what gives? So Servetus writes back and forth, blah, 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 blah. So Calvin one day is preaching in his church and in walks in Michael Servetus, you know? So Servetus and Calvin kind of had a Sherlock Holmes, James Moriarty type of relationship mm. where, where Servetus had a wacky obsession with Calvin, you know, like to push his buttons and be freaky and weird. So he walks into um, the church that Calvin's preaching at, and Calvin goes, arrest that man right now. So he stops his service. He arrests him. Um, they take him to prison. And if he hadn't been arrested by Calvin, he would have been arrested by the Catholics or some other person. And the same the thing that's about to happen would have happened. So they lock Servetus up, and they, start, they have a trial for him. And this trial lasts for a while. Okay, so it's not like this kind of, okay, let's kill him now. It was a long thing. Let's let's get out all the work that he's written. Um, let's give him the opportunity to um, recant his statements before we um, get rid of this heretic. And let me just say, I'm not condoning that. <laughs> right? I, they they were wrong. They they were wrong. But that is something that would happen frequently at the time. Right. right? And that regardless of who you were, okay, Re- literally regardless of who you were, that's what happened. Um, and I think generations in the in the future are going to look back at us and be like, what is going on with these people? They call themselves Christians. I mean, when we think of slavery, okay, a lot of Christians own slaves, and that's a huge blight on us. However, a lot of Christians were the reason that slavery stopped. That's a whole other topic. So we look back at the past and we be like, okay, they did some really wrong things. So anyways, they condemn him and they lock him up. And so he's like dying. He's like, man, I need to give me something to read. You know, he's just a scholar. He needs something to read. So Calvin gives him all his, all of Calvin's works, rebutting all of Servetus's works. <laughs> so that's what Michael Servetus has to read while he waits to die. So as they are coming up with a way to execute him, Calvin says, hey, look, I think burning at the stake is a little too inhumane. Let's hang him or behead him. Let's get it over with quick. Um, just out of a respect for their interactions that they've had with each other. He was denied, and they ended up torching him. So, um, not right, but that's that's what happened. So it wasn't like Calvin was on this um, crusade to kill Servetus, and it's not like he was the one who lit the match and threw it on him. He was a part of a group of people, a consistatory, who came to the conclusion that he was guilty, much like a jury would. Right. So, and then wrongfully applied that right that punishment. Right. right. So. so, so we would say heretics should not be burned at the stake. That's not for us to do. Um, heretics should be excommunicated from the church if they're a part of it, but that's about the as far as the extent that we can go with sure. that. Yep. So um, do with that what you will. All right, um, so two weeks from now, we'll be talking about regulative principle. I believe the regulative principle <coughs> regulative of worship. Regulative principle of worship. The so, RPW. Wonderful. So be sure to tune in because I have a lot to learn between now and then, and we'll have a good discussion about it. Yep. All right. Remember, every Joe, every Joe Schmo. Schmo. No, stop. This is my thing. My, unless you want to do it. No, it's fine. Okay, well, then don't interrupt no, me. No, it's fine. Every, <laughs> every Joe Schmo can, can grow some more. Fo- grow or reform? What did I say? Grow some more. Grow some more. Every Joe Schmo can grow some more. Peace.